Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay. So, um, as I said, this is the uh, the third in four talks um, that the overall title is uh, Appropriate Response at the Tipping Point. Um, just how do we, how do we hold uh, the challenging situation that uh, we all face living in today's world uh, with consciousness, um, with uh, clarity of vision, uh, with seeing how we can bring our uh, Dharma practice to um, the, um, the issue of uh, planetary crisis, so to speak. And the um, as I said, the book, this book that uh, was uh, given to me a couple of months ago, I've really been impressed with, called uh, From Me to We um, by Bob Doppelt, D-O-P-P-E-L-T, Five Transformational Commitments Required to Rescue the Planet, Your Organization, and Your Life. Last week, the uh, first of these commitments, well, um, actually before that, the overall theme is, as the title says, going from me to we, moving from a feeling of separateness, of disconnection, of focusing on what are my personal interests and agendas and and gains to having a a larger view of your place in the world uh, that is essential for a shift in consciousness that you are not separate from the rest of life and the more you can see this basic Buddhist principle of anatta or not-self, seeing the emptiness of self through the delusion of that separation, uh, the more you are moving towards freedom in in the Buddhist uh, teachings and also those that basic understanding uh, applied to uh, to global consciousness is the key shift that could make a difference in the world, going from me to we. If all of us somehow could uh, open to that reality, um, then um, this would be a very different world. Mm. This is what freedom is about, and it's the it's the irony that uh, we're we're caught in focusing on on me, thinking that that's where happiness lies, and it's the very thing that 
is leads to um, disconnection and unhappiness. Uh, so this is not only global but personal. Uh, on every level, uh, there's th- that shift is moving towards greater well-being. And the first principle. So these five commitments are five Dharma principles that Bob took and said, let's look deeply at what this Dharma principle means for us, how to live that way and what a, what a, how to apply it to the global situation. Um, and um, the first of these principles is to the first he calls them commitments the first commitment once you understand the principle is to see the systems you are part of that's what we spoke about last week the basically understanding the law of interdependence that everything is connected to everything else like that uh, uh John Muir quote uh when when you try to to pick anything out by itself, you see it's hitched to everything else in the universe. And the more you can see that you are a part of many, many webs and systems from your family system to your um, clan to your um, city and ethnic group and country and planet and universe, and to see all the systems that make up who you are inside, just within your own body, from all the different biological systems, nervous system and circulatory system and digestive system and respiratory system, um, and how everything works together, that that's a basic principle of how life operates. It's operating as uh, as George Harrison said, within you and without you. It's inside of you and all around you. Uh, and to see your place in that is the, the underlying premise of seeing that um, what you, that you affect everything around you. The second of these principles and commitments We'll go through the the second and third tonight, and then in a couple of weeks do the the fourth and the fifth. Second commitment, be accountable for all the consequences of your actions. This is deeply understanding the law of cause and effect. Or in Buddhist teachings, the law of karma. That actions have consequences. And so what you do matters. What In a world of conditioning, everything has a cause and a conditioning. The only... Um, level of reality that is not conditioned in the Buddhist teachings is nibbana, nirvana. That is the unconditioned. But everything else 
is arising from causes and conditions. And to see that and see your place in it and to see that what you do matters um, can go very deeply in how you relate to yourself in the world, not only in your personal practice, but in global consciousness. What he's looking at, and in the, in the title he says, required to rescue the planet, your organization, and your life. So he's saying not just to think in terms of me and the planet, but you having an effect on all the organizations that you participate in as well. Because Bob is a systems um, analyst, and he sees everything in terms of nesting, interlocking systems. So the more you can bring about a greater consciousness within yourself, then you affect the systems that you have direct connection to, which in turn spread out to affect all the other organizations and connections that, uh, that your organization or organizations um, have uh, interface with. So, <clears throat> as I was reading this, there's so much, I, I, as I said last week, um, it's one of these books that's really thin, which very much, you know, appealed to me first, you know, oh, it's a thin book, okay. But it's one of these thin books that every sentence is chock full of not just information, but but depth and understanding. And there's so much I had just on the on this first on this next commitment in principle uh, that uh, well, I don't know how much to share, but I'll just share some of the the basic ideas. Um, You know, where uh, one idea that, that came to me as I was reading it is that this is probably not news to you that actions have consequences, this law of cause and effect. And yet, uh, most of us don't live with that understanding, not just on a global level. It's one thing you know, oh yeah, you know, how you affect your whole environment. But even taking it on a personal level, it would make sense that if you know, if I do this, this consequence will happen that will be uh, unpleasant and suffering. You'd think that that would be enough to deter us from doing unskillful actions, right? Oh yeah, if I eat a third dessert, <laughs> there might be a consequence, but it tastes so good, yeah. Or if I really let it out and, and vent and you know get something off my chest in a way that I feel very justified in my self-righteousness. Um, 
it'll be okay, it'll feel good. Not thinking in terms of the repercussions that come afterwards. How many times have we, we done that and after we've acted unskillfully, just look back and say, what was I thinking there? <clears throat> so it's hard enough on a personal level to really get that actions have consequences. How much harder it is when we are in a very um, amorphous understanding of our place in the system, how our actions have consequences beyond us. So, this is seeing that we have a choice and really being as conscious as we can be about the consequences of our choices and seeing that if we want to go for real well-being, uh, we need to slow down and just see what we're choosing. Uh, the, the Buddha saw this problem when he um, was deciding whether to teach, as you've probably heard before, when he first became enlightened uh, and he didn't want to go out and teach. It was just going to be too much of a pain, of a bother. As, as it says in the, uh, in, the, in the suttas, you know, it would be a great vexation to me if I were to go out and try to teach the Dharma that I've seen and people would not understand. But then being encouraged to look over the, the world with his um, psychic powers at the encouragement of a, of a deva, and he saw that everybody wants to be happy, and yet is most everybody is, or is doing exactly the kind of behavior that leads to more suffering. That was what motivated him to teach, especially when he saw that a lot of people, when they understood the predicament, they had but a little dust covering their eyes, as the saying goes, and that if he shared what he saw and really woke people up to the, the deeper kind of happiness, that they could, too, discover what, what he had come to. So this is not just something in our current situation. This is human experience that we, even if we know cause and effect, we somehow blind ourselves to it. Mm -hmm. And that's why we practice to see more clearly, to really understand deeply that we have a choice and to get in touch with what we're wanting to create in our life. So, most everybody probably believes in, you know, climate change. Not everybody, but most everybody. Oh, yeah. We're, this is pretty, pretty dicey. We're scary. And I don't want to bum you out with this, these series of, of talks, but 
it is it seems really essential to to come to terms with what's here but most everybody can see and yet there's a feeling that there's not much to be done about it and so there can be this sense of uh mm, you know helplessness hopelessness uh you know what what's the point but you don't know and you don't know what it would take to bring about a change would be for people to really um, decide that they want to have a, a healthy and thriving planet. And this is one of my favorite quotes that um, I love from John Seed. I've read this uh, once or twice before here, John C., the, the really um, wonderful, brilliant, deep ecologist, who says, you know, perhaps if you were to able to multiply all the efforts of conservationists by a factor of 10 or even 100, it might not be enough. So there's nothing on the horizon that can help us, you know. And you might think, well, what kind of a miracle would it take for there to be change. Well, it would be a very simple one, really. All it would, all would be needed would be for human beings to wake up one day different than they were the day before, realizing that this is the end unless we make these changes, and then decide to make the change. Now, that doesn't seem like a very likely thing to happen, but on the other hand, the whole road that we've traveled is so littered with miracles that it's only our strange kind of modern psyche that refuses to see it. I mean, the miracle of being descended from a fish that chose to leave the water to walk on land? With a pedigree like that, anything is possible. <laughs> but really, that's what's needed to just wake up one day different from the next and say, oh, wow, this world is worth saving and what we do matters. <clears throat> he talks about five erroneous views about cause and effect that lead to this uh, a, a narrow kind of... Um, not vision, a narrow kind of way of being in the world that are um, that hide how cause and effect really works. First, we assume a one-way causality instead of feedback loops and thus fail to account for non-linear consequences. Now, what does that mean? It means that um, we don't we think in terms of um, our actions being, uh, the consequences being immediate. You can see the consequences of, of your actions, but really it's so much more subtle than that. And he uses the example, suppose you say you're with a, a, in, a, in, a, in a work situation and you want to mm, feel superior to somebody. And so you make a, a little off-the-cuff 
uh, mild criticism or playful put down, something like that. That seems relatively minor to you. But somebody else, just like if you're on the receiving end, that they take it and it hurts and they might not say anything, but there you've set in motion a kind of energy that will come out from them that might not come up right away, but when they're around you, it will come out in little ways that you don't even realize where it's coming from. You might just think, oh, well, that's, you know, I was just teasing, playing around, or, you know, poking or whatever. But sometimes we hit somebody in a sensitive moment or a sensitive place, and it hurts, and it might be completely off your radar screen, but they're harboring that pain. And so they might do little... um, Um, reactions or ways that undermine and then there's a kind of tension that gets built between you and because they're acting that particular way you it just kind of builds the system between you and you might not have you might have no idea what the original cause was but there's something that you've set in motion that was uh, that's you're completely unaware of. So this leads to the second erroneous view on cause and effect. We underestimate or ignore inherent time delays between cause and effect. Some a little seed that you plant might be sprouting the next day, the next week a month from now, and you don't realize that 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 seed has been festering or uh, waiting to germinate and come back at you, okay? This is just on an interpersonal level. Third, we respond to symptoms rather than addressing root causes. So mm, you get into, you know, Maybe that other person says something really nasty a month down the road. And you you get in touch with, how could she say something like that? That's not really fair. Maybe five times what you said. And then you're addressing the symptom, ouch, and the interaction, what she says, not realizing the root cause had something to do with what you did. And so we look at symptoms and trying to address them instead of what underlies that whole setup of energy. And then the fourth, we focus on daily events rather than long-term patterns. That is, um, maybe you try to be really nice to that person and make up to them and say, I'm going to really be kind to them today and put an end to this, except you don't realize how long the conditioning has been going on. So you say, gee, you know, why don't they get off it? Why are they so 
nasty to me, but not realizing there's been a pattern that is very hard to to change. And then the last, uh, we assume that the whole of the system will be improved by optimizing its parts. And this means thinking that if one person is feeling better, say in a system in this thing, if I'm trying my best and feeling better, that everybody else will feel better. But but really, he makes the point that in a system, when there's a balance, if anything is thrown out of balance and something is, uh, some position is improved on one element of that balance, it's usually throwing the whole system out of balance. And even though one element feels a lot better, it will have its consequences in another part of the system. Okay, so now applying these five to the earth, okay, not seeing cause and effect, not seeing that what we do will have an effect over time and there's patterns that get set up over time that are deeply conditioned, that it's really hard to change that conditioning unless you're very aware of it. And he uses the, the um, example of, that we're all familiar with, burning coal or oil um, or, or gas. We've been doing it for so long and thinking, you know, there's no problem with that. That even when we know that there's a problem, it's hard to change the conditioning. And uh, the same with uh, cutting down forests, you know, that we've been building and uh, using land for agriculture for so long that it's been a, in our consciousness, it's just the way things are. And so even though you know intellectually that habit is so hard to change. And I was remembering in the Buddha's, in one of the Buddha's discourses, uh, which I don't quote from, the Buddha gives this example about how um, impurities can be, um, uh, can be thrown in, in a, a lake and you won't notice the consequences of them or impurities can be burned in the air and you won't notice the consequences because it's such a, a wide space. Or impurities can be thrown into the ground and the earth can absorb it. You know, That's not so, is it? The Buddha, you know, if you think the Buddha knew everything, he wasn't taking into account our current condition where there's a certain point at which laws that have been going on since the beginning of time don't apply. So it's not, it's not seeing how those patterns become outdated and are no longer applying. And he makes the point, here's a few, few facts that now um, the temperature of the earth is one centigrade higher than it was at pre-industrial levels. And it seems that right now we're in the middle of it rising 
another centigrade, which is having huge impacts, and that it, but it could rise by as much as 6.4 degrees centigrade if it continues like for the next uh, century or two. Now, one centigrade is where we are now. Can you imagine 6.4 degrees more? And he says the effect on this, we don't see the effect on cutting down the forests, which account for like 20% of um, of climate disruption because there's CO2 released into the air and the, ch- the trees aren't changing that CO2 into oxygen um, and the plants aren't cooling down the earth. We just, we might know it here, but we don't embody it here. And that there's the effect of one <clears throat> centigrade higher is a 4% increase in water vapor because it's heating up a bit more, so there's more water vapor, and that causes all these rainstorms and floods and record highs that he said when he wrote this, the record highs were outnumbering record lows two to one. I just heard on NPR last week, it was something like there were 2,000 record highs in the last in the last month or two in the United States, and I think 40 record lows, something like that. <clears throat> so that's just on, on climate um, cause and effect. In the biosphere, the, the loss of biodiversity, seeing the, not seeing the cause and effect and long-term effect of this, <clears throat> it affects the, the delicate balance that, that we're in and uh, you know the fires that are going on in Colorado now, and as, as perhaps you know, a lot of it is because the pine beetles have gone unchecked in their population growth because the warmer weather has affected their proliferation. And because the pine needle beetles have, have proliferated, they are um, devastating the trees. And because when the pine beetle attacks a tree, it loses um, and it dies, it has 10% of the moisture that it had when it's alive. So it's like each piece affects the other piece. So all of these trees are like uh, uh, kindling for... Uh, for any fire that comes. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty sobering. And another way that we don't realize cause and effect, population growth plus our increased technological capacity to use the Earth's resources result in an amazing increase in material consumption. Check this out. In 1900, the U.S. used approximately 160 million metric tons of material that were consumed. I don't know how they figured that out, but they did 161 million metric tons in 1900. In the year 2000, 3 billion metric tons consumed. 
saying that if in if everybody lived as North Americans live, we'd need seven additional planets to maintain our material needs. So, not to depress you too much, what is the answer? Is um, This is where mindfulness comes into account. Well, you really have to take a look and see what your personal, the effect of your personal actions and the effect of how how you want to be in this planet. And he has a few examples. Mm. Our failure to understand or accept that we're pushing the Earth's climate system beyond its limits every time we turn on the lights, use electronic devices, drive vehicles, or in other ways use or burn fossil fuels, or denude the forests is a matter of life and death for billions of people. Now, how do you live with that and not get completely overwhelmed with guilt? I, this is this is the uh, a question for me. You know, I drove here. You know, I was speaking with Jaime yesterday, who he he rides bicycles wherever. How much how much uh, you put on three thousand miles in your car over the last what? Two years, I think you said something like that, because he rides a bicycle wherever he, he goes. And I, I was talking with him at the picnic, and I said, I was feeling like, you know, such a. Uh, it, was, it was inspiring, but feeling like such a, you know, glutton, you know, American, the ugly American, you know. But. I think there's a balance between not feeling completely overwhelmed with guilt and just really waking up to our effect on the planet. You know, not to not to be um, um, so immobilized by what we do that we can't appreciate and enjoy life, but to just be a bit more conscious of our choices. And as I was doing this uh, or reflecting on all these um, all these facts and particularly on cause and effect <clears throat> I was thinking a, a bit like Jaime there's uh, there's somebody else in my in my world that is kind of Often on my sho- above my shoulder or sitting on my shoulder, that I hear whenever I'm about to throw out some extra paper. You know, it's um, my friend Julia Butterfly Hill, who's come here a few times, and I've told her this. You know, I said, you know, if you knew how much you're with me every time I kind of throw a piece of paper in the basket, and. Uh, and, you know, she laughed, and I, I said, it's good, you know. Sometimes I wish you weren't in my head, but you're, you're there, you know, what can I say? And there's something about somehow having a bit more mindfulness in your, uh, in your way about how you go about your life when you're doing something that, if you stop and think about it, you say... Mm, 
is this helpful or not? And to just slow down enough to get in touch with your choice rather than acting on automatic pilot, um, then that makes a difference. So, I would just like to again read this commitment and have us get in touch with it. Not with a heavy-duty weight where we're burdened by it, but where it becomes a source of real um, joy. Okay. Be, why don't you close your eyes as you as I say this. In fact, we'll do the, the first one, I didn't do that last week, the first one and the second one. First commitment, see the systems you're part of. Really recognize the Dharma principle of interdependence. No human is an island. How wonderful that life connects you to everything around you. To take that as a, a Dharma practice, see yourself in the web of interconnectedness. And then the second commitment, be accountable for all the consequences of your actions. Can you take that on as a joyful responsibility to do the best you can? Be accountable for all the consequences of your actions. For yourself, for all the people who you influence and for the planet. You might even imagine what that might look like in the places where you might go unconscious. Just to bring a little bit more, more consciousness the fact that your actions have consequences. Okay. Third principle, third commitment. <clears throat> Abide by society's most deeply held universal principles of morality and justice. So again, another Dharma principle. The first one, the law of cause and effect, karma. Sorry, uh, of interdependence, the law of interdependence, um, anatta. 
Second one, law of cause and effect, karma. And this is um, the, um, the foundation of, of a good, of a peaceful heart, sila. Right speech, right action, right livelihood. Three components of the Eightfold Path that bring about a sense of ease and peace and openness in the heart. And he doesn't talk in terms of Dharma principles. He doesn't use jargon at all here. He says something about Buddhist at the very introduction. He says a little something, but it's very... Um, offhanded. These are universal principles. The law of moral justice, which is in every spiritual tradition. But the Buddha particularly said, if you want to find peace in your heart, then don't cause suffering. And now, more than ever, this is a principle that is essential if we're going to change our place in the planet. Because uh, more than ever, we are asked to have some restraint, to have some self-control, to be cooperative. We're all in this together that Harmony within the system is essential if we're going to maintain balance. Harmony to the to the the extent that harmony is a conscious choice. Of course, the world disharmony is part of the world, just like earthquakes and volcanoes and and uh, and old age, sickness and death. But as far as moving from me to we, moving from the individual to the common good. If you have an understanding of the law of interdependence and of cause and effect, then you see that the welfare of others is intrinsically connected to your own welfare. So in the... uh, in the, the, the Buddhist tradition and in other spiritual traditions, it's often put as do no harm. That's the first, the basic attitude of right speech, action, and livelihood, not causing suffering. The inverse of the golden rule. Don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. Okay? But really, on a more positive expression, the notion of ahimsa, of not just nonviolence, but the, 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 the goodness that comes from caring, from acting in a, in a harmless way, the gift of harmlessness. What uh, I read, somebody, uh, Stephanie Kaza, I was reading an essay by, essay by her, talks about an ecosattva, a bodhisattva pledged to end environmental suffering. And it really comes down to the basic fact that we all, all people, have a right to live on a healthy planet. And a planet with 
as little toxicity and consumption and climate disruption as possible. But even beyond all people, that above human needs, not harming others, is uh, to take into consideration all the species that make up this delicate balance and caring for the earth, not harming the earth. And uh, Bob has a number of moral obligations here. I'll just read. The moral obligation to accept limits on human behavior. This is radically different from how we think in terms of, well, if it's good for me, you know, why not? And changing from an us versus them mentality to, when I was growing up, I remembered when they first had the, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the picture of the earth from outer space, and there was this big poster, maybe some of you remember it, um, from, uh, I think it was Buckminster Fuller, said, we're all passengers on spaceship Earth. You know, just having that, oh, I'm just getting goosebumps remembering that. Just having that, when we first saw that picture of the, of the Earth from outer space, that was like a radically, you know, a radical new visual Oh, that's our home. It's not what's in it for me. We're all in this together. So to change that us versus them, a moral obligation, he says, to resolve conflicts peacefully, to cut material energy and consumption, to rise above economic self-interest, to place climate and biosphere needs above human economic needs and rights, to rescue the innocent and protect the most vulnerable, to reduce economic inequality, and to a moral obligation for restorative justice. <clears throat> and when we do this, both in our own personal life as well as holding the that vision for healing the planet, you know, we affect everybody around us. Just like he says, you don't know the effects of your tiniest actions, that you don't know the effects of you um, living with greater integrity in your life. So I'll just... Uh, Again, as he suggests, to take these commitments, just get in touch with this commitment. The third commitment, to abide by society's most deeply held universal principles of morality and justice. That is, as best you can to live a life of integrity. For yourself, for everyone in your life, and for the sake of the planet.
And if you can see that living by that Dharma principle, which I'm sure you're quite familiar with, is an act of caring for the planet. It uplevels your whole motivation to be aligned with your values. I'm doing this for myself and because I care about the planet. Mm, What a joyful responsibility that is. So, um, to really um, take these basic Dharma practices in the context of a larger rippling effect that we have, because we care about the planet, um, this, uh, it gives a whole other dimension to our Dharma practice. So we just have a, a few minutes left. If anything that comes up from any of this or that you want to share. Hi, I'm Hannah. Um, When you spoke, it reminds me how we have a synchronicity. I, I kept wanting to say synchronicity how we are connected, and out of fear we push other things away. But because that connection is intrinsic to who we are, Mm -hmm. we feel that isolation and loneliness. And um, it's only when we we are fearless and we, we do connect with that that we feel a lack of duality and we're able to which is our essence, our, we are able to identify with that oneness. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, and you're saying that, it, that, that fear gets in the way of, of feeling that, that connection? Fear gets in my way of feeling that love and connection. And, but when I go past the fear and I just stand in it, like if I stay in the suffering and then I transcend it, mm-hmm. then I'm able to feel that connection and the fear goes away. And when I'm coming from that, I'm able to be a vehicle of kind of the in flow that goes through everything. Mm. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, it takes going... You can just hold on to it. Uh, it, it takes going, um, going through... The, the the dark places that say, oh no, I, I can't face that, to get to that place of real caring. Um, but when we touch the caring and feel connected, uh, then there's a whole different motivation for acting consciously. Yeah. In, and for me very much, it's beyond the mind, the intellect. You know, I, I don't have access to it. And I also don't have access to it in the future, in the, pre- in the past. I only have access to it in the present. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Any other last comments?
Okay, so let's um, let's close with a little loving kindness for ourselves and for the earth. And as you do, seeing the understanding of karma, cause and effect, and sila, acting with integrity, as being gifts to the planet as well as to yourself. Because it affects all the systems that you're a part of. May I feel all the caring inside my heart. And may I share my love well. May I see through fears to open to all the goodness inside. May I help awaken the true nature inside for myself and for all beings. May all appreciate this life that we're given and care for the planet. May our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Okay, next week uh, Lama Paulden is going to be here and then uh, be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.